find an informative podcast all about training working dogs? Look no further than the LWDG Pod Dog. This weekly show is hosted by me, Joe Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. And I chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or you've been working with dogs for years, this podcast will have something for you. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to LWDG Pod Dog. Let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of the LWDG Pod Dog. This week we're going to be talking all about where to start with a HPR. Joining me for this fantastic conversation is Sharon Pinkerton. Sharon, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Now, you have been recommended to me wholeheartedly as somebody to talk about with regards to HPRs. I will be honest, my understanding of them is very small, very limited. What is your background in working with HPRs? Um, well, primarily, I, I had my first German wire hair pointer when I was still at school. But if I was honest, I was very much on the, the dog show side. I, I liked them aesthetically, what they look like. And it wasn't until a little while afterwards that I was being asked to, why was I just doing show? The, the, the breed can also work as well. And I had a, a very good friend who was a falconer who, who had a, a, a puppy from us a long time ago. And it was him that said, come on over and see what the, the breed can actually do. So that's that's what I did. I went over, spent many a day in his company and, and other falconers and just watching the, the 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 way the dogs worked and, and then the way the handlers were able to release the birds at the right time. It was just absolutely fascinating. Um, but it was a little while later before I got really hooked onto the field trial side. And, and that was just it is really our only shop window to prove that the, the breeds are capable of still doing the jobs that they designed to do. But uh, most people now just enjoy the breeds as a, as a general all round shooting dog, general purpose shooting dog. Um, I think you've got to have a very special temperamental character to do field trials because if you're driven four to five hours and something happens in the first few moments and then you hear those dreaded words, pick your dog up and, and then you know you've got another four or five hours back wondering, well, if I'd have done this better, could I have got away with that? It's um yeah, it can be quite leveling field trials. There's been without doubt an increase in the amount of people owning HPRs in the UK since World War Two, I think, is when they sort of seen the influx. But very much so with lockdown where everybody decided having a dog was a great idea. Are HPRs good as pets? They can be, um, they're very much so. Uh, if you think in terms of the countries of origin where they've been designed, they were never intended to be pets, but because they have this um, character and, and intelligence, they can adapt to most sorts of lifestyles. Um, but the only problem basically when it goes wrong is if you're not keeping them busy enough um, and it's the mind, keeping the mind busy rather than the legs, because you just make them fitter and fitter. You just need to. And it also helps build up that teamwork, that relationship that always is really good when you're doing anything with your dog. If it's, you end up going out like two pals doing something together rather than two people trying to work against each other. So um, they do make good pets, but you have to understand what they're originally bred for and understand that you cannot change that genetic makeup. So work with what you've got and enjoy them. 
When we look at the sort of HPR breed section, they are a very wide range of characteristics, aren't they? Whether you're even looking from long-haired to short-haired to, to wherever. They, they are very much a different individual breed in their own right. There's no sort of a grouping, is there? No, there's, there's very few overlaps. Uh, probably more so with the Hungarian Vizslas, wires and smooth, the Germans, long, smooth and, and wire hairs. Um, but on the whole, they they are subtly different with with their whole manner in, in so much some do make easier pets than others. Some are just out and out hunting machines that are not quite so good on their retrieving. Some are naturally more better retrieving. Um, and that generally just goes back to what they were designed to do in the first place. Um, but it, they are so different. They really are. You just have to understand um like not everybody would want the Brittany, not only for their looks, is there's some because they're a busy little dog. Uh, they're they're one of the most fascinating dogs to watch when they really are working, um, and they're such an ideal size for a family. But unless you're used to something that's going at a hundred mile an hour, um, it's probably not the best HBR to start with. When I looked at all the different sort of names that come under the HBR. Um umbrella and I saw this this little Britney Spaniel I was like how did you make it into there because aren't you making it to be over here with the Spaniels but so what is it that gets a dog breed put under that HPR umbrella well originally as you said they were known as the Britney Spaniel um but obviously with the the breeders that brought them into the country in the kennel club realized that they were actually a HPR breed. They they weren't just spaniels. They were capable of, of doing more. So they were changed over into to basically the HPR group. And and it is as it stands for, they're a hunt point retrieving breed. So going back to their country of origins and their reason, it's basically to put food on the table. So you could go out with a dog and a shotgun and feed your family. And you, you it's not you, you wouldn't want they're not very good when you're on commercial shoots where there's hundreds and hundreds of birds that just is not what they're designed to do but you like the falconry you could hunt for, you could walk for several hours and only see one rabbit or one pheasant and and so that's dinner so and that's where they're really good because they will keep hunting until they obviously find the game and then because they naturally then will point it does give the the owner a chance to get up to them and get ready to shoot and then obviously if they've managed to flush shoot the dog then brings it back so it's it's just it's just a good all-round dog but people have to understand that's what they're capable of there's a lot of it that's natural but the rest of it does come with training well, the dog you just described, if you think about it, is incredibly versatile, isn't it? Like you said, you have, can have one in the house that can feed the family. So when we're talking about them and we're like, oh, hunt and point and retrieve, it can put people off thinking, where do I even start with with training a dog like this? But but where do you start? Well, it's, it's going back to understanding your breed and where your breed strengths are. Uh, for me um with the wire hairs they're always a good hunting dog I, I know there's I've never met a wire hair that doesn't hunt so for for a wire hair I would be concentrating on the basics so that you you have a 
an on and off switch. They will stop, they will come back and I will work on the retrieving um, because that's the bit that's overlooked in their desire to carry on hunting. But some of the, the breeds that are a little bit more quieter, uh, they you would need to also do plenty of hunting to, to waken up that natural ability that's there that just wants that little bit of exposure for, for, the, for the, the natural instinct to kick in. But it's, it's just knowing which breed and the individual dog's character as to which direction you go in, as to which ones you really concentrate on and which aspects you can leave a little bit longer. So obviously there's three parts of, of HPR. And like you just said, you're knowing the breed, to know which of its instincts will be probably the strongest is what you're saying, isn't it? Maybe yeah. work on the weakest at the beginning. But when we say, okay, um, a HPR is retrieving, would we expect a different type of retrieve to that we would expect from a Labrador? Yes. Unfortunately, you would, because they are, they are, without being very rude, they are so intelligent, they would get to the point that you couldn't just keep sending them back for a retrieve. It would be just like, well, I've done it once, I've done it twice, and now you expect me to do it again. Um, and, and they would also have the character to then just think, well, I'll go and do something else myself. They because they're bored, and, and this is probably the biggest reason why the HPR breeds are difficult. Um, and we are ourselves tend to keep our retrieves a set distance because we know our dog can do that. We know our dog can do it, so we'll do, we don't push ourselves. So we end up probably making the dogs even more bored because we're doing things that we know they can do instead of going, Do you know what? I'm actually going to do another 20 yards on this and see if, if we can do it. And, and that's what they need. They, they need to, to, to work and, and not be bored. So that suggests an intelligence level where they like, stop taking the mic, you know I can do it, ask me to do something that maybe I can't. Yes, it basically that's, that's it. You need to keep challenging them. And, and then it's more, they are more enjoyable then because they, you, you, they really sort of go, yeah, let's do this. We can do this sort of thing. And, and you get a happy dog, a happy owner, and yeah, job's done. You can understand, though, from a novice perspective, if you weren't aware of something like that trait, you could quite easily believe you have a reluctant retriever when actually he, there's no reluctance. It's just stop asking me to do the same thing. Yes. Yeah. You, you haven't done the right exposure. You, you've either bored them to tears or you haven't wakened that instinct early enough that they then find one of their other natural instinct, maybe hunting, is more exciting. With regards to hunting, again, would we see something similar? Like, obviously, they, they, their ability to travel distance makes them a very different breed to the Spaniel. But do they hunt like a Spaniel? No, they, they hunt differently. They they have to obviously cover the ground, um, but then they can also be ad adaptive and they can do hedgerows and, and even short, shorten their, their feet even more and do cover strips as such. But um, it, it's it's exposure again, really, in terms of getting them to, to learn to hunt the wind, uh, keep the head up, which is really fundamental um, because that tends to be once the dog drops the nose, they become a tracking dog and then things just unravel really. So keep the head up, keep the, the hunting pattern there. 
um, and just have the ability to either push out, cover the distance or shorten the distance and keep them close. I can remember once speaking to Matt Ball and he explained very, um, very simply for my simple mind about hunt wind patterns. And I was quite fascinated because, as you just said, about the dog keep his head up. I've been used to Spaniels, their heads are down consistently. They are short patterns normally, even when they are not completely under control. They've got they've got their own little natural pattern. It must be very hard if you're new to dogs to understand that your dog is going to range over distance. It needs to keep his head up. There are all those things that maybe you're not expecting. Is there a problem where people who are not used to the breeds maybe try to ask them to behave like more seen breeds? Yes. Yes, they do. They tend to um, keep them closer. They, they, they want to keep them closer. They don't understand um, the the sort of the range that they can possibly do and it's also a little bit of anxiety they don't want them to range too big in case they don't get them back this sort of thing they if they hit a scent they they can cover big distances very quickly and that's where the independence comes in or they they carry on hunting um and i think unless you specifically buy a hbr for the working either the shoot or field trials, I, I still think a lot of the HBRs are purchased on their looks alone. And I don't think people realise. They might later on understand what the breed can do and get encouraged to, to explore that more and, and be able to work and do something. But I don't think initially, unless you're buying for the competitive side, I don't think half the HPRs are bought on their ability more on looks. I can definitely agree with that. Like, and I think sometimes there's almost a sadness in that because, for example, even a working lab, once it's matures, will quite happily plod around with a family, go to the beach, you know, throw some balls. He's, he's quite happy in that lifestyle. Uh, a spaniel, it likes to be interested and engaged, but again, it's not the end of the world if it isn't. I think for HPRs, if somebody isn't providing a lot of mental stimulation, they're going to come a cropper with them, aren't they? They are. It's, it's going to be more difficult to, to have that sort of lifestyle. And really, that is a lifestyle everybody wants for their dog. They, they want them to be part of their family. And if they're going to go out on a day shoot, they want to be able to enjoy them. But then if they're going to go out on a family day, they also want to have the dog with them, but for the dog to be part of the family and not being annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and this is why you just have to understand what you're taking on, that breeds are capable of making decisions on their own. So give them something to do, build up that partnership, that teamwork, so that all the good things in life comes from you. And that will just help the dog be then happy on almost a down day. The fact that we're not doing much, we've been out, we've done a bit of training, now we're having a family day, and you just settle on that blanket and, and enjoy it with us. and and. That's what you that's what I always say to puppy people is is build up that teamwork right through the word go. And and I see it so often when I have people come for training that the, the dog's not looking at them, there's no focus, they're just scanning the horizon to see what they can find that's more interesting than mom and dad. And all of a sudden they mom and dad is no longer center of their universe. They've got the, the, the natural abilities woken up and then they're, they're looking for something else to do. 
And you've just got to take a step back and reinforce the fact that if you want to do the nice things in life, we do them together. And without me, you go nowhere sort of thing. And, and, and it will come back. But it's amazing how many people don't realise they've lost that initial focus until things go seriously wrong, where dogs are really being disobedient. We spoke to um, a volunteer Spaniel Aid Rescue in January. And I think in three weeks they'd had something like 90 dogs put forward to be put to sleep and a large percentage were under two and even larger percentage under one and I think with any working dog you have to be very much aware of what you're taking on with HPRs do you think that once you've connected and once you're aware of it and once you've done the work at the beginning they become an absolute team player I think they do. From my experience, my own breed and people that we've managed to work and train with, very much so. And I think that's then why there'll always be another HBR join the family. I think once people understand them, that they can really, they can do everything that you want them to do. Um, But it's sometimes probably a little bit of a rocky path to get there. And, And if you're prepared to to do that, to go the journey, you wouldn't have a better sort of family companion that has the ability that will go and then do a day in the field and not show anybody up. We've talked a little bit about hunting, a little bit about retrieving. We haven't got yet to the bit about pointing. Now, I can remember somebody sent me a little Instagram link, I think, to this little set of, um, I, I wouldn't like to say what HPR breed they were, little set of pups and there was a gentleman with a fisherman with a little wing and they were they were tiny pups and they were trotting on behind this wing and stopping and all pointing together and I was like wow they are like it was so natural to them to point and to stop what is that even all about well it is it is natural it, it it's just generations of dogs that have been produced that that know how to do it. It's such a initially puppies do it with sight, and that's why you have a a, a, a feather wing on a on a line sort of thing. It's, it is done by sight and movement. You can do it with a lure pole, anything that moves. Very often, as tiny puppies, it's be like butterflies or something, something that catches their attention, and their initial pausing is sight related. But as soon as you can get the chance to get them going, you you need to to come away from the site so that they actually are then using their nose. Because it's it's the pointing comes, the the proper pointing comes from scent. Um, So initially, I think a lot of people do it just to prove the dogs, the puppies can point. And very often you'll see if you're wanting something that's very stylish even as seven eight week old puppies you can see some that are really really stylish pointers um and people may choose that as their their choice of puppy but it is very it's done very early and then should then be discarded because you're then teaching a dog to use their eyes where everything is done by scent because a fully trained HPR won't see the birds it'll just know where the birds are in the cover yes and that's the scent once again is and scenting conditions change with all the gun dog breeds you can have really good scenting conditions where um like the setter and pointers you can see them come on point and the grouse is way way ahead of them 
but they have because the scenting conditions is good they get that little bit of scent and, and they freeze into a point but then on a really wet cold middle of the winter day there's probably next to no scent so the the the, the pointing is probably less dramatic because it'll be like oh my god there it is sort of thing and and it's it the scenting is so poor um, and it's it's just amazing how much uh, scent can make a difference in terms of that pointing. Um, it can just sometimes can just be literally stationary and maybe the tail will just flag a little bit because they're not sure there's not enough scent. And um, But there probably is something there. Maybe the bird's moving so they can't literally have a proper locked on point. Then they know that the bird's there, but... Um, the, the the dog hasn't dominated the the prey to the point that it's hunkered down. Um, it still feels it's got a chance to get away, and so it'll start to run. And that's generally why you don't get a very staunch point because the bird or something's running. And you can see though when like I watch videos now of them doing it um, as I does. It's so helpful if you're the hunter because they've done the work for you. Like I can remember growing up, my mum. Sorry, not my mum. My dad and my brother would go out rabbit shooting on the farm. They didn't have, I know for a fact, there was no dog doing what a HPR would do. It literally was themselves. But but it makes it a more difficult um, hunt because the rabbits are far cleverer, I think, sometimes than us humans. Yeah. But with the aid of that dog, you've got a very far more efficient, reliable way of sourcing food. You have. If you think in terms of your time in on in the beating line yourself, how many times have you walked through and then a bird gets up behind you because they've managed to to bypass the dogs? Whereas if you've got a dog, a single dog that's hunting ahead of you, that the birds have not been um, spooked, then you've got more chance of homing in and getting a proper point because the 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 dog has smelt the bird. The bird's not been upset because it's everything is quiet and then as you say you get this dog come on point and then you've got time to get up there get your gun loaded think where the bird might go head back to the pen or away or and, and get yourself in a much better position um so yeah it's a, it's it's a it's a real good art when it comes together it's there's nothing better to see it all come together and it looks so natural I wonder whilst we're talking how many people who buy a HPR without understanding this have even seen that a dog can do this um, and they're missing out. They're missing out on knowing like how amazing these features are. When somebody's sort of fallen into our podcast or into the group and they're like, I have bought one of these breeds. I bought it as a pet. I didn't know it could do these things. I'm now a little bit anxious, like you said, take it off the lead. I'm worried where it's going. Where do they start, even if they don't want to train to like go on a shoot or go hunting with it, what are the basics for HPR? Basics is, is pretty much like any dog, really. You want a dog that will come back when it's called, so that that's more of a safety aspect. Um, you can allow them to have a lot more freedom if you know that when you recall them, they'll come back. It stops them running over a road. It stops them running towards a dog that may be dog aggressive. So that recall is, is probably the most important thing that you have to teach. But what tends to happen is that you have a real good puppy recall because the puppy is unsure, so it sticks close to mom, not going to go very far, make sure mom's always in sight. And then you just get a little bit blasé because you've always had a good recall. And then all of a sudden, 
he might come across a rabbit or a pheasant or a deer and then the, the light bulb goes off in their head and it's like, wow, now I know what I'm here for. And all of a sudden that invisible lead between mom and dog has gone because the natural instincts kicked in and it's like, now I know what I'm doing. And then that's too late. You, you've, And then the people lose the confidence. Then it's just like, well, no, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't let them off loose because they do this, they do that. And they lose out, as you say, on such a natural ability that's there just waiting to be wakened up. And, and it's it's just, you, you get it all the time when people buy puppies and they, they'll ring you and just say, oh, he's just at the first point. He's just been on the road. And, and I couldn't see anything, but he moved and then a big cock bird lifted. Oh my God, it's wonderful. I didn't think he could do that. And these are all the things that people are missing out simply because they haven't done that basic recall. So they never give the dogs the opportunity to do that so you can see what your your dog can do this month within the um within our master classes we've done a basic recall and there's a little bit about chasing recall and it's all about building that bond isn't it so that when they hear that whistle they're like whatever mum's got is way better than whatever i'm doing um yes. and sometimes we forget that not as, as simple as that but we just have to be way more exciting than whatever they're doing and do that from a very young age Yes, you, it's back to what I say to people. You have to be the centre of that dog's universe. doesn't mean to say that he decides what you do. You're still the, the top dog as such. But they have to understand that all the good things in life come as a team. Whatever they get and enjoy is because of you. And, and that's where they, they have to learn. Um, so that bond is there. And, and as I said earlier, the eye contact, that's when people don't realise they're starting to lose it. They probably, and it creeps up and, and over a, a space of a week or 10 days, they haven't thought about it. And they'll also then find that other little things will slip, like just in the kitchen, go to the bed, go bed, go and lay down. And it's like, they haven't done it. And you tend to think, think other things are just slipping a little bit. And it's just where the dog's starting to think, well, do I really want to do this? I think I'll do my own thing. And I know what she means, but I'm still going to do it in my time. And then it's, it all builds up. Once that happens, the next thing is that they'll carry on running and not come back on the recall because the, their owner is no longer interesting. There's something else out there is far more interesting. And you've lost that bond. You can we get it back. Hard. We talk, you know, we do like a weekly group coaching and whatever the question is that the one of the members may ask nine times out of ten the the trainers or the experts or even somebody who's more experienced than the person asking the question will say something along the lines of the problem didn't start on the training field the problem started back in the house when you were letting the little bit slip you, yeah. you know it's this consistency isn't it yeah. and these dogs regardless of whether the hpr spaniel a working dog needs that consistency to know where the lines are yeah absolutely mm. Yeah. And we all slip. There are all times that we we may have something on our mind. We've gone out with the dogs and we're not really in the right frame of mind. And before you know it, it you, you are yourself allowing these things to slip. And it's just like, no, stop it. You've asked them to do something. Now it's got to happen. And and so we're, we're all human. It happens to us all. And I think that's where even the novice people need to understand that we we all do it. It's just recognising when it's slipping away and to get it back. 
For those who are um, thinking, oh, well, I've got a HPR, I know I've got to have a recall. Does a HPR, and you're going to have to excuse my ignorance in this, do you teach HPR, like, to sit? Do you teach them a stop? You know, all the things that we would teach a spaniel, directions on a pip. Do, do they have all those things? Yes, they're all teachable, but most people won't, unless they're going to do proper work in or compete, won't necessarily do that. Uh, and, and this is where, because they, they buy these breezes on their looks, I think the only thing you can really ask pet people, pet companion people to do is to teach a recall. And then once they've got to that point, they start to see more of what the dog's capable of. And then you can start to introduce, would you know what? You can actually teach them to sit on the whistle and even better, you can stop them and then direct them to where you're going to go next. And I think once they, it's the confidence it's, it's once they've nailed something like recall they then feel that they've got a chance of teaching their dog something else. And then because they've enjoyed that and the dog's enjoyed it, I think it's a natural progression is to do a little bit more. And, and I think one of the, the greatest things that people, more the pet companion side people don't understand is that your dog, a gun dog, can still work without actually doing anything with birds. With, with the dummies and working tests and just going out with, with a couple of dummies and a tennis ball and making your own retrieves and jumping over ditches. They, you, don't, you don't have to be seen to handle birds. You don't have to make that step into the shooting world, which for some people is not what they want to do. But they have got a gun dog. So use that instincts, but just do it with, with dummies and tennis balls. And then anybody can do that anywhere. And that's fascinating you said that, because one of the sort of things that, and my husband wouldn't let me have another dog now, he would probably divorce me. But when I've looked at HPRs, I've thought, oh, I, I don't know if I've got the ground. I don't know if I've got access to moors. Do you think people think that HPRs need vast amounts of land and sort of dismiss all the things that you just discussed? The fact that, you know, you can take them to a field with a dummy, with a ball, and still have fun with them? Yeah. I think so, definitely. I think they, they have this sort of uh, sight that it is their, their moorland dogs. Well, yeah, they are absolutely capable of that. But if you live in the middle of a forest, um, then they're just as capable of, of hunting a, a forest. Sort of thing. They, they are so adaptable. Um, but it's just trying to get people to buy into the HPR world for the right reasons and not just on looks making them understand that they this this general hunting gun dog aspect is in their DNA. They, you can't change that. You might think that you've bought a puppy from pet lines, but it's still there. It, it hasn't got to the, the Spaniel and the Labrador stage where you've got a definite split. We haven't. We have very much got a dog that will look like what it's intended to do, go in a show ring one day and in a shooting field the next. So, and that's what we, we have to keep natural um, is the dual purpose look and their ability to do what they say on the tin. Yeah, because it very much is a split between, you know, even like a show cocker and a working cocker, you can absolutely tell. Um, do you think that, when I was talking to Lucy one day and she was talking about the vulnerable breeds, like some of the setters have moved into vulnerable breeds because there's just not many of them being bred. And then you look at things like 
a working cocker, I think it was 80,000, oh not working cocker, a cocker spaniel, 80,000 I think were registered the year before last, uh, puppies, that's a vast amount. Again, do you think it's more this, um, this misunderstanding of people thinking a cocker is a cocker, uh, uh, you know, all these breeds are just generalised rather than understanding there are strains of them that do a job? Yeah, yeah, because I used to have show cockers. Um, I, I don't have them anymore, but yeah, that would be the same. And and I also had boarding kennels for 10 years and people would come in, pet people would come in with a little, very pretty little working cocker and then complain like mad because they're never still. They always want to do something. They want to retrieve. They want to go out. And it's like, I never thought cockers were like that. And it's just like, well, you've actually got the working type cocker, the ones expecting to do something. Um, so you should have gone for a showbread cocker that's going to have quite enjoy one or two walks a day and sit on the settee alongside you and eat biscuits with you. Uh, uh, so you've done the wrong thing. You've got the wrong. Well, I didn't realize there was a split. And that's just as much to blame for the breeder, actually, for not being up front and saying, do you know what? If you want a pet, these puppies aren't for you. And I think the breeders in any breed have, have got part of have got a part blame to this um and not being honest and and it's and certainly it didn't help through the pandemic when um people decided they wanted dogs because there was nothing else to do and then more the unscrupulous breeders suddenly saw it as a way of making loads and loads of money and then but because of the shutdown people couldn't travel to the right then it's just like well whoever was there at the door with money in hand had puppy and and it's it all went desperately wrong there but I do think because the HPRs are quite challenging I don't think there's been a huge amount of of that aspect there has been a lot more breeding done but not on the scale of of your real popular breeds out of all the HPRs that uh, you work with and you judge what is your favorite HPR well the one I've had since I've been uh, yeah it was basically the wire hair pointer yeah, I love the white hair pointer. Um, I love to watch a Brittany work. I really do. I just admire their tenacity. They they are such a fascinating little breed. Uh, um, they they're speedy. They cover the distance, um, but they're always a, a dog that I really enjoy watching. And I also like the Munsterlander because they too are quite a, a, a sort of a striking dog, and with their colouring and, and their 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 coat as such they they really do take the eye um but i think if on on general working ability i think the wire hairs for me have, have got it yeah and i suit their character we're both strong characters they're german and i'm a strong person as well so we we gel along quite happily and of all the hprs which do you think is the most challenging to take on um Probably the finer armor, because they they are quite a, a different character. They they really are the thinking breed. Um, tremendous if you get on their wavelength. They they are amazing, but more often than not, they have quite a lot of bad press on them, and it's generally because people don't understand. Um, they can switch off quite easily because you they they don't take firmness very easily. Um, and then they switch off and, and, and look a bit 
sort of like, I don't want to do this. And, and so I think they're the, the most challenging. But when you there again, once you see them come together and work, they're, they're a pleasure because I, I know just how difficult they can be. Fantastic. Well, thank you for another amazing podcast. I have absolutely learned loads from that. Um, and it's actually made me less worried about the differences between the breeds. You know, it's actually been very, very eye-opening. For anyone who wants to know more about HPRs or has an HPR and wants to talk to you, how best to get hold of you? Um, well, well, basically by email. Um, Sharon at bareve.com um, or by mobile I, I, I'm quite happy to give my mobile number out I, I, well, I'll link them into the show notes below so I'll put your um, and I'll put your details there uh, thank you very much for doing this for us I do truly appreciate it and we look forward to working with you in the next few months and doing some master classes on HPRs and learning even more um, for those of you who are listening and have enjoyed, please make sure to check the show notes, get Sharon's details, go along, find her on Facebook, etc. Give us some love and we shall see you all next week with another amazing podcast. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com. 